0: Alright, got a pretty interesting episode for you today, but before we get to it, gotta give a shout out to some new members of Patreon. Patrice Villery, Kevin McGovern, Chase Kosberg, Lindsey Crocker, and Carolyn Coleman. Thank you all so much. I'm gonna be trying to get those Skype calls wrapped up here in the next uh, week and a half before the end of the month, so please get a hold of me and we can set a time and do all that I'm free at night during the week weekends I'm super flexible so just get a hold of me and let me know also some sources to thank LA Times 1986 article by Richard Meyer and a researcher named Nina Green the buzz around town from 2016 by Kevin McManus and a few AP articles here and there from 1985 and now that we got that business out of the way let's get on with the show this podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited, adult themes language, So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now, and if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. All right, today we're going to be talking about Mel Wiley, who was 47 years old at the time of his disappearance back in 1985. So a little bit about Mel. He's had quite an interesting backstory. He was a fingerprint tech for the FBI at one point, a background investigator for the DoD, an Army intelligence officer, and a newspaper reporter. In 1966, he joined the Sheriff's Department, and he left in 76. And uh, in 1978, he joined the Hinkley Township Police Department in Ohio, where he became the chief in 1982. So a little bit about him personally. He was a good, unassuming, honest guy, and he was a cop who didn't even like guns. He was described by many of his friends as an introvert and a loner, but he was also very personable. He would go and get coffee at the same place every single morning, and everybody in town pretty much loved him, you know? Uh, He was fascinated by trains. He absolutely loved them. He also loved San Francisco and Chinatown. When he was in the Army, he was stationed at Fort Ord. And he always told people how beautiful San Francisco was and that it was, in his words, quote-unquote Mecca. So he absolutely, he would always talk about the uh, the cable cars and and the sunsets, everything. So in the weeks leading up to his disappearance... He seemed moody, he left work early a lot, it was uh, which was out of character for him. Now he was planning on retiring at the age of 50, and then he was going to write full-time. He was bored with his career from what most people are thinking, and he actually disappeared at the age of 47, which is about three years before he planned to retire and write full-time. He had no children. He was divorced in 1984 after being married for 17 years. He was paying his wife alimony. And shortly before he got divorced, his brother passed away of cancer. And he took it very hard. And he took the divorce very hard as well. And at the time of his disappearance, though, he had started dating someone regularly. So he was kind of over the divorce But, you know, he took his brother's death pretty hard. Now, when I say he was a writer, here's the cool part. He was in the middle of writing a murder mystery novel called Harvest of Madness. and This book was set in a place called Burnt Cabins, Pennsylvania, and he had visited there previously. But the thing about it is he had never shown the novel to anyone. He did talk about it all the time uh, to his friends. And his ex-wife said that before they split up, he had gotten about five chapters written. Another cool thing about him is that he did complete a book of poetry called My Love is a Silver Shadow. It was self-published and a friend of his said that it was mostly emotional romantic nature life the sun trains passing in the night that kind of that kind of content right there so he did have high aspirations i did read in one source that he had also written some other short stories like some murder mystery short stories and stuff like that but i only read that in one source so on wednesday july 24th 1985. He talked to his mother on the phone, and she said there was nothing weird about the call, and that he told her he'd call back that Sunday, which would have been on the 28th. Now supposedly he was last seen July 27th in Hinkley Township, Ohio. The last person he supposedly talked to was the girl that he was dating at the time, and he told her that he had planned to buy a swimsuit and go swimming with an unidentified person who was coming in from out of town. The next day, on July 28th, his car, which was a 1980 Toyota station wagon, was found by Cleveland Metro Parks Rangers at Edgewater Park, which is 20 miles north of Hinkley, Which is where he was working. The car was found near a grassy knoll leading to the beach. The Metro Parks Rangers kept the car under some light surveillance for about a day. Now, you are going to see a lot of sources say that it was found at Lakefront State Park and not Edgewater. Given the location and the sources, Edgewater was more than likely where it was found. I read it more places from more reliable sources. So if you do look into this yourself, you're going to see both of those locations where the car was found. Edgewater State Park is where you're at. On Monday, July 29th, he didn't show up at the coffee shop that he regularly goes to every single morning before work. And then he didn't show up for work either. On Tuesday, July 30th at 4 a.m., Cleveland Metro Parks Rangers reported his car abandoned. Mel Wiley's sergeant, a guy named David Yates, drives there. Now, this is only about 23 miles north of Hinkley, okay? And when he gets there, the car is locked. When they get into the car, they find Mel's badge his driver's license, his police ID, a pair of pants, a shirt, belt, pair of shoes, a pair of socks, suntan lotion, beach towel folded nicely on the seat, a pack of Salem cigarettes tucked in one shoe, which is the cigarettes that he smoked. They found his wallet in the glove box with all the credit cards inside it and which was two $5 bills and five ones now a good friend of Mel's a guy named Jim Bigum is a guy he had worked with at the sheriff's department back in the 70s he was a Medina Ohio police detective now the reason he heads this investigation is because Mel's apartment was in Medina city limits Now, he works this investigation with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources as well. Now, they initially thought that Mel had drowned because he was not a good swimmer. But they kind of discounted that theory after a while, or at least Jim Bigum did, the detective, because he was friends with Mel. And he knew that Mel didn't really like swimming. And just to throw this in here... Mel Wiley had patches of very pale skin on his neck and arms from radiation exposure. He had gotten this exposure while stationed at an atomic test site in Nevada. So he had this skin condition that caused him a lot of problems if he went out into the sun. And as a matter of fact, he used to wear long sleeve shirts all year round, whether it was summer or not, because he was self-conscious about it and the sun did In fact, like hurt his skin. So going back to David Yates, which was Mel's sergeant getting into the car, he calls his wife Virginia, Virginia Yates, which is a dispatcher for the Hinkley Police Department, which is where Mel Wiley was the chief. So her and Bigum go to Mel's apartment, and the door was locked, so they went through a window that was left partially open. When they get inside, the apartment is left in very neat condition. And when they get to the apartment, they find out that the door is locked, so they go through a window that was left partially open. When they get inside, they notice that it's in very neat condition. As a matter of fact, the window was left partially open to let Mel's two cats go in and out of the apartment freely. Because when they get in there, there's extra water... And there's a bunch of extra food for the cats, two of them, portioned out in dishes. Now, they start looking around the apartment, and they notice that there's a bunch of things missing. Missing from the apartment was Mel's music collection, envelopes, stamps, typewriter paper, and an address book. Now, like I said, Mel usually wore long sleeve shirts because of his skin condition. Most of those were gone. And there was nothing in the refrigerator. Except a single jar of mayonnaise. They notice that. Both Mel's pistols. Are there in the apartment. His service pistol. And his off duty pistol. And the ammo is there as well. And then they find this note. On a table. And this note is a reminder. To pick up the laundry. So Bigum. He goes to the dry cleaner to pick up Mel's laundry. And when he gets there, the dry cleaner hands him this envelope. And Biggum opens it up. And the, the dry cleaner, cleaner is like, hey, we found these papers in one of the pockets. We were saving them for Mel. So Biggum opens up the envelope. Inside it is Greyhound schedules and yellow taxicab schedules. So while this is going on, Virginia Yates goes back to the Hinkley Police Department and she finds a train schedule and she tells Biggum about it and the fact that there's an Amtrak that runs past Edgewater Park, which is supposedly within walking distance of where his car was found, I looked it up and unless they had moved the Amtrak station, which I highly doubt they did, The walking distance that they're referring to, I read in a lot of sources that it was within 100 yards. Closest one I could find was three miles away, which technically still within walking distance, but that's a pretty good walk, you know. So David Yates, Mel's sergeant, goes and starts looking for whatever he can find, like clues-wise, in Mel's office, right? And he opens up the top drawer of his desk. And David Yates had been in and out of that top drawer to get keys for whatever the case might be. And there's usually a lot of things in there, and it's usually kind of messy. But the only thing in there, only thing in this top drawer, was the key to Mel's apartment. So as Virginia Yates is looking around the office, she notices a few things missing. She notices reference books are gone. And there's boxes of empty manila folders that is gone. And everything else is pretty much there. So then Virginia starts thinking about his office typewriter, which was an old royal typewriter. Remember, this is 1985. And this old typewriter has a carbon ribbon on it. And it's the kind that can only be used one time. But it retains the imprint of the keys that strike it. So she sits down with this thing, takes the ribbon, and transcribes the words that she could decipher from it. And what they find out is that prior to his disappearance, he had written a letter to a female friend, and this letter is stating that he's tired of his life and just wanted to disappear, and that he would be 2,500 miles away by the time she got this letter, And that's the thing, the letter was never found by the cops. It was just found on this ribbon, you know, of this old typewriter. And here's some things that the letter has. Where I've gone is of no critical importance, and it's very doubtful that I will ever return. I will have, in one sense of the word, gone away. It's a one-way trip, so I'm told. With no option of ever returning, and perhaps that's just as well for any and all concerned. Try not to judge me too harshly. I'm not trying to hurt anyone, and if I do, that was not my intention. Right or wrong, I'm just doing what I think is the best solution for me. And then he goes on to say that he might stop by and visit sometime, but basically to just look around and reminisce and that if he did come back and visit, nobody would ever know he had even stopped by. So, Bigham goes and tracks down this female friend that he had written this letter to, and the kicker is is that she never received the letter. And Bigham thinks that he never sent the letter to her because it might give away the fact that he had faked his own death, or his own disappearance, or whatever the case might be, And just gone and left everything behind and started a new life. And I know this sounds really crazy, but I'm going to hit you with some facts that are really interesting. And this actually could have been the case. But first, we do got to hear a word from the sponsor. As you guys know, mysteries, history, true crime, paranormal, that is all my passion. That's what I love to talk about but even somebody like me does need the occasional break. So when I feel like I need a cleanser, my go-to refresher is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is like a puzzle-solving type game. It can be challenging and it gets your brain going, which is something that I personally enjoy. But on the other hand, it's extremely fun too. And one of the best things is, is that it's a casual game that anybody can play, but it is made for adults. You can spend as much or as little time as you like playing the game. I personally have made it to level 125. It's fun to play with my kids, too. You know, they're old enough, they get it, they play it, they have fun, but that's usually when I'm playing. You know, when I need a break, I try to sit down for a couple hours, and if I'm bored, nothing's good on TV, I pick up Best Fiends and start playing. And The coolest part is it's super visual. There's lots of bright colors, the designs are awesome, it's also cool because most of the characters are bugs, and the antagonists are the slugs, so it's pretty fun. And I've actually been hit up on Twitter a couple times too, for people who have downloaded the game and play it, and literally start challenging me, what level are you on, this is the level I'm on right now, I got you beat. It's actually a game that people do enjoy playing, that people do play. Another cool thing that they do is they update the game monthly with new levels, new events. So it's not like you're going back to the same thing over and over and it doesn't require the internet to play. So it's great for traveling when you're on a plane, you know, subway or a train, whatever the case might be. You want to save a little bit of data, you can still play. So if you want to engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters, trust me, with over a 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Alright, so some things to think about on this case. First of all why leave a car that he loved so much? Because what I didn't tell you is that this car that he drove, the reason he loved it so much is because his brother who had passed away of cancer, that's what his brother left him. And he would not have left that car, according to all of his family and friends, because he cherished it. It was The only thing left of his brother that he had. Him and his brother were very close. Another thing that he left behind was his train collection. This dude was obsessed with his trains. He was obsessed with that shit. But he literally left everything behind. He only took what he absolutely needed if he did take that stuff. I mean, think about it. The only thing left in that top drawer was... The key to his apartment. They got to the apartment before that key was found. So they had to crawl in the window, which was left open for his cats, who had food portioned out for an amount of time, for like several days, and left extra water out for him and everything. All right. So was he planning on leaving and met foul play, like in the process? Did he do all this and take his own life? You know, that's one of the things we need to think about. Initially, this was investigated like a homicide. But then there's some other little details that we have to think about. Now, James Bigham, like I said, the head investigator, lead investigator, and a good friend of Mel's, says that there were no large cash withdrawals from the bank, and his police pension was still untouched with thousands of dollars left in it. My big question is... Just because he didn't make any large cash withdrawals, was he depositing his old check? You know what I mean? Was he keeping back $100 or $50 every week or every two weeks or whatever the case might be the pay period wise? Was he depositing the entire check? Was he leaving some back but no large cash withdrawals? Police pension with thousands of dollars was left untouched and this guy not to mention was 3 years away from complete retirement full pension and everything now his mother ended up taking over his affairs when he uh, when he did disappear and she noticed that there's a good chance he had possibly been saving a little bit money for a month or two she said that he had not paid his bills for June or July You know, so I mean, yeah, that's a little bit of money, but that's not a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? His mom personally says she believed he was within 50 miles of home. Her whole reasoning is why go anywhere, you know, and leave everything. But she does also say that people had told her he was depressed before he disappeared. But the thing about it is, too, is why would he do that to his mother? His mother had already lost one son, why would he just disappear off the face of the earth, you know, and pretend like he's dead, or pretend like he just, you know, met with foul play somehow, so we also have to think about that as well. Now, the lead investigator, Bigham, says there is no theory that holds up except for the one that he left on his own accord. Bigum actually went to the Kmart, because if you remember from the top of the episode, Mel Wiley told his girlfriend that he was going to go buy a swimsuit so he could go swimming with an unnamed friend from out of town. Bigum went to the Kmart. He had bought a towel, all that good stuff. He had never bought a swimsuit, never bought a swimsuit, and he didn't own one. Okay, so maybe he... Jumped into the water. Maybe he decided to go for a long swim. He wasn't a strong swimmer and just take himself out, you know, whatever the case might be. The Cleveland Police Ports and Harbors Unit and the Coast Guard searched Lake Erie. All right. If he drowned over that weekend, it's suspected that that warm water in July would keep the body towards the surface enough for them to see it. But nobody ever found anything. Now both his friends at the local coffee shop, which he frequented every single day before work, both of them said they didn't even worry about it because they think he was alive somewhere else. You know, one of them in a later article said, you know, I got a bad feeling in my stomach that, you know, something happened to him, something bad happened to him, he wouldn't just leave like this, he wouldn't, you know, leave everything. It's hard telling, you know, I mean, the guy, if you you read that letter to the, to his female friend that never got sent, he straight up says, he's like, I'm tired of this life. I just want to disappear. That could be taken two different ways, obviously. So you got to kind of form your own opinion on how you want to take that. I'm not going to sit here and try to put my narrative in your head. You know what I mean? That's why I'm telling you all this shit. Now, another one is foul play. Okay, at the time, Hinckley was like 5,000 people. There were no crimes committed that would cause him to vanish, let's say, by, you know, an organized crime out of Cleveland. Maybe he got caught up with a scandal of some criminals or anything like that. He literally was the chief of police in a town of 5,000 people. That is a small, small town. And like I said, his friend James Biggum, the lead investigator on the case, was like, that's really not even on the table as an option. He doesn't see it as, you know, a very good plausible theory. So if he did disappear on his own accord, where would he have gone? There are three places that are suspected. He had friends in Florida. James Biggum says that's a very good possibility because he did have friends in Florida. Me personally, with his skin condition, how hot Florida is all the time, the fact he wore long sleeve shirts all the time because of his uh, skin condition, I'm not seeing Florida as an option unless, you know, I could be wrong, but that's just personal opinion. I really don't see that as, as an option. If, if, if you're in the sun and it causes you, you know, pain, and discomfort, and you're self-conscious about, you know, some of your patches on your, on your arms and neck, why are you gonna go to Florida? You know what I'm saying? Another place that was brought up was the Burnt Cabins, Pennsylvania. He had visited there previously, and the fact that he was writing a murder mystery novel at the time of his disappearance brought on a lot of people to say, well, hell, maybe he went there. Maybe he's just living out his novel, you know, under assumed name. Maybe that's a plausible theory. Personally, I don't really like that one, because if that was the case, I'm pretty sure somebody would have noticed him. I mean, this this was in 1986, and L.A. Times did a massive article on this. This was not just some dunk little local newspaper like this was legit a mystery especially with his hobby of being a murder mystery writer and a chief of police the dude literally vanished off the face of the planet you know what i mean so not my favorite theory but the other place is obviously san francisco chinatown area he absolutely loved trains he loved cable cars he would speak of San Francisco all the time and how much he absolutely loved it, and he literally would refer to it as his Mecca. And that's a quote from him, not me, okay? So, if there's anywhere he's going to go, personally, I think he's going there. Now, does he have the knowledge and resources to completely drop off the face of the earth and start a new life somewhere? Look at his past. Just look at his past. He was a fingerprint tech for the FBI. He was a background investigator for the Department of Defense. He was an Army Intelligence Officer. He worked in the police department since 1966. If there is anybody who could vanish off the face of the earth and start a new identity and have that kind of knowledge and probably do it successfully, it's probably going to be Mel Wiley probably, and James Biggum, straight up, one of the dude's friends, and the lead investigator on the case, he says that is an absolute possibility, he says, dude, with our background, and his background specifically, if anybody could do it, it would be Mel Wiley, but you never know, I'd love to know what you guys think, because there are some people who still think foul play, either kidnapped him, or killed him, and dumped him in the dumped him in the lake, you know, maybe he was walking to that Amtrak station, got mugged, Cleveland is literally right there, it's, uh, the park that his vehicle was found in is right there on the west side of Cleveland, so you never know, there, you know, could have been a bad, uh, bad situation there, maybe he did take his own life, maybe he was just over it, but why leave the typewriter and take the manuscripts, like, when they searched for any of his writings in the apartment, They found absolutely nothing. So why leave all your money? Why leave your mother who has already lost a son? Why leave the one possession that is your brother's memory of a car that you love and take your manuscripts from writing and head to San Francisco? And I mean, his mom straight up, she's like, I haven't heard a word from him. Now, could be her lying or covering up. But this whole disappearance is one of the wildest things, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. But before I get to reviews, here's how you can get a hold of me. Justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at mysterious underscore podcast. You can follow my personal account. There's a little link in my bio to my personal account, as long as you're like, it's my personal account so just don't be a weirdo you know uh podcast mc on twitter facebook obviously i got a facebook page i got a facebook group all that good stuff um but yeah see you folks on the flip side Podcast Addict. This one is uh, Aaron from Canada. Hey, hey, I know Aaron. Awesome dude. He's, uh, he's in the Facebook group or Facebook friends and all that good stuff. Uh, it says another excellent podcast. I love the versatility of this guy. It's not always murder murder. You get true crime, paranormal phenomena, and legitimate interesting history. Keep up the great work. Aaron, I tell you what, I appreciate that, man. That's That's pretty damn awesome you know, I think highly of you already, so, uh, let's see, from America, we got five stars, Melody Allen, just began listening to podcasts, enjoying Justin's podcast, very interesting, and I have followed up on one of them, A Haunting in Michigan, I actually watched that episode on Amazon Prime after listening to the podcast, very cool, and thanks so much, ignore the haters, fuck the haters, man, but no, that episode is seriously interesting, it's, I saw that and I was like, I got to know what's going on with this place. I got to dig deep and try to find out what's going on. But no, I'm just glad you enjoyed it. I got a couple other good paranormal episodes on there. You'd probably like to, but thank you very much for taking the time to leave a review. Um, Next one is five stars, Hispanic and loving her (laughs) says, thank you. Great podcast and amazing research. I love your podcast, it's informative, and there are times that I laugh out loud. I'm talking about the snake story on your cousin's property. Fuck, man. I'm glad people get joy out of my trauma. (laughs) That shit fucking scared and ruined me, man. Scared the shit out of me and ruined me. No, just joking. Um... Goes on to say, I love history, and you bring it every time. As a lifelong student of history, I can be highly discerning when it comes to historical podcasts, but you astound me every time. Although, as a Hoosier, I may be biased, but there are a lot of Hoosiers that I don't like. (laughs) Thank you for all you do. Well, I appreciate it, man. There's a lot of fucking Hoosiers that I don't like either, man, so I totally understand that. But no, I just, I enjoy doing the the historical podcasts and everything like that it's pretty it's pretty amazing when you find out the context of certain people you know find out what made them do the things they did and you know there's a lot of mystery there for me i love it next one is five stars it says from robbinsville binge worthy I have finished binging all episodes. I'm a true crime mafia and old West junkie. So I've listened to read and watched tons of documentaries on these subjects. I respect the amount of research you do. I'm watching a doc on Irish mob right now. And when they're telling, when they're telling about Jimmy Coonan, I'm like, I already know this, and what they said was info I had already heard on Mysterious Circumstances, so I recommend. That is awesome. Actually, I just got done on Amazon. Uh, They had, what is it, The Making of the Mob, New York? I think it was like eight episodes. Highly, highly recommend. I can't vouch for the personal conversations, obviously. Nobody knows what Meyer Lansky and... Lucky Luciano said to each other behind closed doors. But it is an amazing series. And I just started the Irish Mafia one too on Amazon. So totally get what you're saying there. It's pretty damn awesome. And thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, this one is uh, five stars from T.G. Bear 69 Awesome. Says... Great podcast. Justin is sexy and smart. Screw the haters. Fuck yes. All right, what else we got here? Freaking. Let's go to Australia. Uh, Sharks67, five stars. I'm not sure if I read this one last time or not, but it's getting read again. Sharks67, interesting and informative. Great show with an array of topics and stories. Not only entertaining, but informative as well. The trilogy of shows on Babyface Nelson was super. Congratulations on your show. Hamo, Sydney, Australia. Hell yeah. Fucking love Australia, man. You guys are awesome down there. Uh, next up is Canada. Oh, this one. One star. C note one. Awful. Host is not charismatic or interesting to listen to. Recently listened to the Lori Erica Ruff episode. Both co-hosts mocked Lori, a suicide victim with mental health issues, and her widower. Wow. No compassion. There are many, much better true crime pods out there. Well, I mean, there are better true crime pods out there. Because I'm technically not a true crime pod. I'm in the history section, actually. But, uh... As somebody who's an advocate for suicide awareness because of my own personal problems in the past, I can guarantee we did not fucking mock her. I did that episode over three years ago, so I would have to go back and listen to verify that, but when I posted this one-star review in the Facebook group, which I do with all one-star reviews, uh, several people commented and said uh, that you're full of shit, so... You know, I don't mock victims. Actually, a lot of people commented like that's why they listen to the true crime that I do cover because I'm actually pretty compassionate. You know, I don't joke. I don't laugh about that kind of shit. I have fun with my history episodes and my paranormal episodes sometimes, but when it comes down to victims, no, I don't, I don't think there's anything to laugh about there. Just don't come at me with your bullshit, man. I don't know. Maybe you're just more sensitive than the average bear. It's probably what's going on. You're probably coddled and probably drank off the tit until you're about six or seven. That's kind of what I'm thinking happened there. Different strokes for different folks. What I always say As a matter of fact, you can always visit my merch shop and buy a fucking t-shirt that says that. (laughs) If you want to check out the merch shop, by the way, I never really advertise it. I got a lot of cool shit in there, including this... Pretty awesome golden girls t shirt I just made the other day. But uh yeah, my workshop is mcpodcast.threadless.com. Go check it out. There's some, you know, some pretty offensive shirts in there that I'm sure some of you would like, but there's also some pretty cool ones and funny ones. I got some John Dillinger and Doc Holliday stuff in there. Uh yeah, go check it. You go check it out if you want. But um, yeah, different strokes for different folks. You know, quit being so fucking sensitive and lying. Other than that, that tis all I got for you folks. Until next time.